Um, Yes, good morning, everyone. And uh, just a couple of quick notes before I begin. Uh, Life groups will be starting up the week after Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, so Thanksgiving weekend, I'll kind of be preaching the first sermon of the Life Group stuff. And uh, we'd love to have you sign up. There's a sign-up sheet here. There's a couple in the lobby. I'll remind you again at the end. And so if you already know that you have a Life Group and you guys have already been talking to your leaders, that's great. If you've never been in a group or you kind of want to secretly change groups, then you can sign up here and we'll get you into another group uh, or into your first group. And, uh, and you'll be able to enjoy that as we do a 10-week a, a uh, study on the imperfect disciple, which we all are. And so it's a good lesson for all of us how to be imperfect disciples. Um, and, uh, and then I'm going to talk about the, that and the lunch and stuff at the end as well. Our, uh, our text today is uh, Galatians 6, 9 to 10. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or tap there on your phones or however you want to do it, uh, Galatians 6, 9 to 10 is our text. And I'll just read that text to get you thinking about it and then pray. Galatians 6, 9 to 10 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as your imperfect disciples, we bring our lives uh, under the authority of Scripture and conform ourselves to what you would teach us. We thank you that it is more than just good advice and guidance. It is the, the rule of our life. And Father, we thank you that we have the Holy Spirit in each one of us uh, that allows us to read your scripture, hear your Holy Spirit, and know how to respond in our hearts to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And so as we consider this passage and this book, Father, we pray that you would teach us, that we would know how to be uh, not perfect disciples, just a little less imperfect uh, in how we respond. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm sure that you are like me in many regards. Having come back from a long sabbatical, I'm physically and mentally rested. But in one category of my life, I'm tired. We're all tired. And no amount of of sabbatical, no amount of vacation, no amount of rest or recreation, I think, can impact our collective weariness in this category. I'm tired of COVID. (laughs) I'm tired of being tired of COVID. I'm even tired of talking about the fact that I'm tired of being tired of COVID. I mean, I'm just tired of the whole thing. And it's hard to know sometimes, having lived it now for a year and a half or however long it's been, I don't even know anymore, If there's any good left to be done in this conversation or in this topic, it can be hard to know if there's what good is in our response to it because the information keeps changing every day, certainly every month, and we as disciples have to keep thinking through how do we respond biblically to this changing circumstance. It's tiring. And yet, just as I imagine our parents and grandparents felt during the Great Wars... It doesn't matter how tired we feel, because the war is still there. 
And they didn't know in 29 and 30 and 31 and 32 and 33 and 34 when it was going to end. We're only, we're not even two years into this yet, and yet it goes on. And so we're tired, but we know we have to keep walking rightly as disciples through this global trial. So we look at this letter in Galatians, and in this letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul wasn't speaking to a church going through a health pandemic. He wasn't even teaching or talking to a church that was going through a war. But in the book of Galatians, Paul was speaking to a group of churches embroiled in a wearisome controversy that threatened their unity. He's talking to a church that was creating tensions and separation over simply whose table they were willing to sit and eat at. Churches that were divided on either side of a matter of practice and conscience. And in their case, in Galatians, the question was, do Christians need to participate in the Jewish ceremonial laws of cleanliness? Or are they exempt from those laws, namely circumcision? Some said, do it, you got to do it. Some said, don't do it, you don't need to do it. This is what Paul is speaking into. Not just one church, but the whole area of Galatia, the whole, the whole eastern side of Turkey, the churches all there in Galatia were embroiled in this. The church was so divided, in fact, that it's one of the rare, if not the only place, that we find two apostles in direct conflict over a choice of behavior on this matter. Paul confronts Peter on the issue of his personal actions of not being willing to eat together with the Gentiles. You can look at that in chapter 2 later today if you want to see Paul speaking to Peter on the matter of his choice. He confronts Peter on being responsible for stoking the controversy in unhealthy and unhelpful ways. So I imagine as I'm reading this letter, I'm thinking that Paul was tired of the whole silly mess himself. He was just tired of it, sick of it. In addition to this letter being one of the rare cases an apostle is correcting another apostle, we also see it's one of the rare cases where Paul seems to really just get fed up with everybody. He's so tired of this controversy that he tells the churches he would be fine if the disruptive people would just go ahead and castrate themselves. And remember, Paul is dictating this to a letter writer. He didn't say it, he wrote it. So you can imagine, it says, you know, write this down, you know, I, you know, they should just go all the way and just castrate themselves. Wait a minute, read that back to me. Yeah, leave it in there, right? Like he writes it in his email, and then he hits send. He doesn't delete it, he hits send. Like, I want them to hear that. This is how frustrated Paul is, that he would confront Peter, that he would use this kind of language. He's just tired of it. And when that comes off the end of his pen, it stays in the letter. And that kind of language coming from Paul just sounds like a tired pastor. It sounds like a tired disciple. He's just tired of the whole thing, tired of having to deal with this situation in the church. And of course, we're all tired. We are collectively in North America and here as a church in many ways divided over a matter of conscience and practice. Day by day and month by month, our situation changes. Day by day and month by month, we're asking ourselves again and again, what do I need to do today? What's the biblical response? What's the Christian response? What's the gospel-glorifying response to the demands of COVID and our culture and our neighbors and our friends? 
So, of course, it's not a theological issue precisely, but as Christians, it's a discipleship issue. It's a biblical issue. It's a gospel issue. As Christians, we joyfully acknowledge that every part of our life is being brought under the transforming influence of the Scripture and of the Holy Spirit. And so we have a church here in Halliburton, in Canada, in the world, full of tired brothers and sisters We have a church here in this letter to the Galatians full of tired brothers and sisters. And so what does Paul say as the last word, so to speak, to these tired, grumpy, frustrated, guarded, not as friendly as they used to be Christians? At the end of it all, what does he say to them? Well, it's our text today. Last chapter, chapter 6, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And then specifically, we notice, he says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Paul says, you're tired, I'm really tired, but here's the bottom line. Let's not grow weary of doing good. Let's not give up on the main thing especially doing good to each other in the church. No matter how tired you may feel about church life or engaging with others or just going to the grocery store, Paul says Christians are people who do not grow weary and allow weariness to cause them to throw in the towel. So how do we do it? In order to understand how we do it, I think we need to dig in and ask and answer a few questions to make sure we really are doing good and know how we do good to each other in our circumstances. And what you'll notice as I preach through this is I'm not going to give you a final answer. The New Testament actually rarely does. Paul's whole point in the letter of the Galatians is that he is trying to set the church of Galatia and all his New Testament, New Covenant Christians free from the letter of the law and bring them under what he says in Galatians 6 two, the law of Christ. So it's not about the letter of the law, It's about the law of Christ. And the reason that I bring that up is because it's kind of interesting. As I mentioned, in in this church in Galatia, the argument was over whether people should be circumcised or not. And Paul is firmly on the side of freedom, saying, no, Christians don't need to be circumcised. But you know what's interesting about that is, Paul made sure, when he was doing ministry with Timothy, and Timothy was going to be opening and planting and serving in a church among Jewish people, he said, you know what, Timothy? You should probably get circumcised because you're going to be serving. And so you don't have to get circumcised, but you should get circumcised because that would be kind to your congregation to not put that stumbling block in front of them. So you see already right away, here's Paul saying, I wish these Judaizers would go ahead and castrate themselves. And it's like, okay, Paul's against circumcision. And then he turns around and says to Timothy, you know, Timothy, if you're going to serve there, you should probably get circumcised. So there's no letter of the law answer here today, even in this theological situation that Paul was addressing. But what there is is the law of Christ. There is this final encouragement, which is not growing weary of doing good to everyone, and especially those who are out of the household of faith. So we have to ask, What does it mean to do good then? What is the law of Christ? If it's not commanded of us, what do we do in terms of these difficult questions? Well, that's the first question. What is doing good? Let us not grow weary of doing good. Well, we have to ask the question, what is doing good? 
And so as Christians, we know that we have biblical values that guide us into goodness. God wants for us what is good, and we want to do good for our joy and for God's glory. And in the big picture, I think as you go through the scriptures, we can generally see the Christian values of goodness expressed in a few different ways in a few places. And so I'm not going to tell you anything new. I'm just going to remind us of here's a picture of what the Bible says is good for, his, for disciples of Jesus. First of all, biblical goodness expresses itself in the fruit of the Spirit. Just a few sentences before these, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So there's some good qualities. There's some good behaviors. Paul says being joyful is good. God is happy with your joy. Being peaceable or being a peacemaker is good. Being patient is good. God will never scold you for being patient. You know, that's a good quality of believers. We get the idea. All these things are good. We can take all that fruit of the Spirit and we can say, that's good. Paul says, don't grow weary of doing good. All those fruit of the Spirit things we know are good. So don't grow weary of those. Biblical goodness also results in expressing new behaviors that we are conformed to in Jesus. And if we were to do a survey of the New Testament, one of the easiest ways to see all the good new behaviors that the indwelling of Jesus brings about in his disciples, we can see them all very quickly in just the one another verses. Love one another, John 13. Be devoted to one another, Romans 12. Honor one another above yourselves. So how do we, how can our actions and decisions show honor to others more than to ourselves? That's a common thread through the New Testament, which is good. That's doing good. When we love one another, that's good. When we're devoted to one another, that's good. When we honor other people higher than ourselves, that's good. Don't grow weary of doing that. But we can go on. It says, build up one another in Romans 14. It says, accept one another in Romans 15. It says, admonish one another in Romans and in Colossians 3. It says, speak the truth in love in Ephesians 4. It says, teach one another in Colossians 3. It says, exhort one another in Hebrews 3.13. So we're to build up, we're to accept, we're to admonish, we're to teach, we're to exhort. Those are all good things. If we're called to admonish and we're called to exhort and we're called to speak in love and we're called to teach, that also means that there must be other disciples and ourselves who are also called to listen, to consider, to respond, to engage. That's all, these are all good things. And we're not to grow weary of the admonishment or the teaching or the exhortation or the building up or the accepting. Paul says don't grow weary of any of this stuff. This is all good New Testament disciple stuff. But then it goes on. We can look at the other one another's, like bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6. Be patient with one another in Ephesians 4. Serve one another in Galatians 5. So disciples who don't grow weary of doing good are bearing one another's burdens. We're serving one another. To keep doing good, we have to keep serving. We have to keep bearing. If we find ourselves as disciples not serving, then we're not doing good. If we find ourselves not bearing the burdens of others, then we are no longer doing good. We've clearly grown weary of it and quit. And Paul says in Galatians, don't grow weary of doing good. Don't stop serving the whole body, not just the people we agree with. 
But we can go on. In Philippians 2, it says, value others more highly than yourself. In Ephesians 4, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another. So it's good to be kind. As disciples of Christ, who are going to follow this command of Paul, this exhortation at the end of Galatians to don't grow weary of doing good, we have to continue to be kind and compassionate to one another. It's good to be kind. So our decisions and our actions as disciples should reflect kindness to those around us. Philippians 2.4 says another thing, another one another. It says, look to the interests of one another. So biblical goodness consists of the interests of others before our own interests. It says, esteem others more highly than yourself. Be kind and compassionate to other people. Look to the interests of other people. That's biblical goodness. But biblical goodness also means putting off all the things that we're not supposed to be. And we could go through a survey of the New Testament there. James, Peter, John, Paul, Jesus, they all give similar warnings of what it's not good for disciples to be. Don't be rebellious. Don't be disobedient. Don't be selfish. Don't be self-determining. Don't be contentious. Don't be prideful or puffed up. All of these different things that we're not to be, the New Testament is clear. Those things are not good. So we have these examples in Scripture. When Paul says at the end of Galatians, don't weary of doing good, it's not hard. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. If you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, if you've read the Scriptures at all, we know what it means to do good and to to not grow weary of doing good. It's all these things that we do for one another and how we put others ahead of ourselves, and it's all these things that we are not arrogant or rebellious or disobedient or selfish or any of those things. So it's not rocket science. It's not complicated, but it's also not easy. And we also, not only do we have all these instructions and all these directions and commands and exhortations in the New Testament, we also have examples of biblical goodness in action for us to be guided by. We see them in the choices and actions of God people in the Scriptures. Paul himself valued others more highly than himself. In 1 Corinthians 9, he describes how he has set aside all of his rights in order to serve the church in Corinth. He says, I have these rights. Don't I have these rights like everybody else? But that's okay. I lay down my rights in order to serve the gospel. He even says that he will become weak, even though he's not weak. He says he's put himself under the law, even though he himself is not under the law. He says, at one point, he sums up, he says, I have become all things to all people so that I can serve the gospel. Every Christian alive today is that Paul is glad that Paul did not wake up in the morning and say to himself, it would be risky of me to go to Corinth or Rome. I might get in a shipwreck. I might get attacked by robbers. And in fact, if I go speak in that city, they may actually beat me up and throw me outside of the city as if I was dead. Paul never woke up and said, it's better if I don't go serve. He always got up. He always went forward. He always ministered in the gospel. And we're also glad that Paul didn't wake up any morning and say, I'm a Roman citizen. I have all these rights that they have to respect before I teach or preach or serve or offer any help. If my rights as a Roman citizen are not recognized, then I refuse to participate in the kingdom work that that city needs. Aren't we glad that Paul has set an example 
of doing good, regardless of any risk to himself, regardless of any rights that he may have to lay down in order to do it. We have all the instructions, we have all the exhortations, but we also have the example of how to disciple. This is how you disciple. Right, and I'm using disciple as a verb there. You know how you verbalize? Like, everything becomes a verb now. We have this thing, a friend of mine who has started these classes called adulting classes, right? Teaching kids how to adult. So it's like, okay, teenagers, you need to learn how to do adulting, right? This is a discipling class. Paul is saying, this is how you disciple. This is how you do it. This is how you act out being a disciple. And of course, our ultimate example is Jesus. He left the safest place inside or outside of this universe by his Father's side in heaven. And he entered into our world to be harmed to the point of death by our sinful contagion. Jesus never demanded his rights as the creator of the universe. He never said, no, I'm not going to go do it because it's a little risky for me. He never said, you owe me my right as the king. He served. And I'm covering a broad spectrum of teaching that all points us towards what the Bible and what Paul and what Jesus and what Peter and what John and what James, what they all mean by doing good. I don't think that anything of what I've said is a secret. We all know the description of biblical goodness I've just described. Christians value others more highly than themselves. They put themselves at risk in order to serve the kingdom mission. They don't demand their rights, and they don't mind being inconvenienced in order to serve others. We act out of love, not self-preservation. Those are just some of the ways and some of the categories that the Bible talks about good, and Paul says to this divided, tired, weary church of Galatia, don't get weary of doing good. Keep discipling. Keep adulting in the Word. Keep it up. Why do we do good? Who do we do good to, I mean? Paul says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Well, who is everyone? Well, everyone in this case is contrasted to the church. So Paul says, Christians, as you go and do good and don't grow tired of doing good, everybody outside of the church is in the category your community at large, our authorities, our teachers, our nurses, our doctors, our politicians, our neighbors, their kids, the elderly, our waiters, and our store clerks, strangers, even enemies, or those that are on the other side of the issue from us at this particular moment, Paul says, do good to everyone. Everybody outside the church Everybody you come in contact with, you are to do good towards them. All this stuff we just talked about, just keep doing good. And then he says, in contrast to that, or in parallel with that, and he says, especially to those inside the household of faith. So not only do I mean everyone, but I mean especially the brothers and sisters that you are arguing with right now. As Christians, we have a special accountability and duty to those that we are one body with. What churches in some other state or some other country or some other province do is of importance to us, but it's not of primary importance. How they serve their community and their people and their church is important to them. How we serve is where we have been planted, and it is important to us, Paul says. It is important to the household of faith that you are in that you especially do good to them. Those that we worship together with, those that we learn together with, live together, serve together, Remember all those one another's. 
We're called to be doing good all the time to those people starting every Sunday morning and continuing on through every day of the week. We have chosen by being planted here and coming here to sit under the leaders of ministry here and leaders of the church here. We live and love and laugh and grieve and struggle and work together with these brothers and sisters. And so we owe a special debt of goodness to each other that we are in community with. We are especially to do good to those in our own household of faith. We are especially accountable to each other who we have walked beside for years and worshipped beside and served beside for years or even decades. That's who we're accountable to, not to some other church somewhere else, not to some stranger on YouTube, not to some pastor who wrote a book or somebody from another city. Paul says, you especially do good to those with whom you are living with right now. The local church is God's plan for us to live out our discipleship of doing good together in community. And so it should not be taken lightly or easily ignored that there is a special kind of goodness that we need to do to each other right here in this building, in this community, among these people that we live and love and are with and serve with every week. There's just something unique about the household of faith that you call your home, Paul says. So that's what good is. That's who we do good to. So as disciples then, we know what goodness is. We can rehearse that weekly. We know who we need to be good to. We can think through what doing good for those people specifically is. Now how do we do all this good to each other in tired times? and in response to a topic and a circumstance that we're all weary of. Well, Paul's command at the beginning of the verse is, let us not grow weary of doing good. And the the word grow weary, we have to understand this, is the Greek word enkenkeo. And sometimes that word is translated as don't grow faint. In other words, don't get tired. But it is actually a little more literally, it means don't lack courage. Which is interesting, because you've... If you read it as don't lack courage, then there's a subtext of what Paul is saying is don't get tired, but specifically don't lack courage, or we could say don't let fear stop you from doing good. Don't be timid in your doing of good to everyone, especially the church. So it has this sort of double meaning, don't get tired and don't be timid. Don't be weary and don't lack courage. Why does Paul say this? Because it is going to take strength, but it is going to take courage to do good in these circumstances. He's not unaware of the fact of the courage that is required of these brothers and sisters in Galatia in order to continue to do good to each other. It takes courage to lean into hard conversations. I'm sure there was a point at these churches in Galatia where people were just like, I'm tired of this conversation, and I'm afraid of getting into this conversation with people, so I'm just going to stay home. It takes courage to hear the things we don't want to hear, and it takes courage to say the things we wish we didn't have to say. It takes courage to confess our weakness in in the present, and it takes courage to confess our fear of the future. It takes courage to bear the disdain of others and still love them. It takes courage to stay involved and not disengage or run off just because it's easier. It was a courageous occurrence every day these brothers and sisters in Galatia got up and got together. It took courage. 
because they knew the controversy that was waiting for them, and yet they kept showing up and eating together and fellowshipping together and worshiping together and sitting under the teaching of Scripture together, even though it took courage. And Paul's exhorting them, keep doing this. I know you're tired. I know you may even be timid, but don't lack courage in doing good. It means leaning into the work that we need to do individually and together. The work of being a good disciple. The work of holding our life and our choices up to Scripture and being honest about our choices. Are we valuing what God values? Are we obedient to what He commands? Do our actions convey the value Scripture teaches? Us are the marks of His disciples. There's no such thing as a good, lazy disciple. It takes strength and it takes courage. This phrase that Paul uses here in Galatians 6, he actually says almost exactly the same way in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians as well. But in 2 Thessalonians, he says that even more strongly. This is why I say that there's no such thing as a good, lazy disciple, because this is what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Sound familiar? Same exhortation, same encouragement. Don't lack courage Same word, don't grow tired, don't be timid in doing good. He says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and having nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Yep, Paul wrote that down and he left it in too. Paul says, this is important. There's no such thing as a lazy disciple. If there are people in your church who are not willing to hold themselves up to the teachings of Scripture that we have outlined here, then make note of that person that they would be ashamed. But get this. That sounds really harsh, right? Get how he follows it up. This is important. Verse 15, right afterwards, he, he puts it in very careful context. But do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So Paul is harsh here. He's saying there's no such thing as a lazy disciple. If there are people in your church who will not hold themselves up to Scripture and listen to the teaching that we have been giving, if they will not seek after doing good strongly and confidently, he says, take note of them, and hopefully they'll be ashamed that they are a lazy disciple. But he says, not because they're an enemy. Don't treat them like an enemy, but warn them as a brother. This is not about us having enemies who think differently than us. This is about collectively warning one another to say, are you, brother, are you, sister, holding your decision and your actions and your life up to the mirror of Scripture and conforming yourself to the Word of God? That's all we can ask, and there is no expectation of an answer beyond that. Warnings are what we all need to be willing to hear. Warnings that point not to our own opinions, but to, as Paul says, what is written for us in these scriptures, in the inspired Word of God. That's where all of us collectively need to get our definition of good discipleship from. So that's what good is. That's who we do it to. That's how we do it. We do it courageously. We don't shrink back. We lean in. We have those hard conversations. We continue to serve even in difficult circumstances, even if serving puts us at some risk, even if serving isn't exactly the way we want it to be. We don't shrink back. This is good discipleship. This is how we do it. This is who we do it with. 
So we know what is good. We know we're not to grow weary or lack courage. And we know that we have to aim that good that we do at everyone, and especially towards our church family. Paul's exhortation is simply, simple. He says to these Galatian Christians who are tired of division and and tired of not feeling all that friendly toward each other, he says, you are going to do the work of leaning into what the Bible teaches us about how we are to be and act as disciples. He said it to Peter. He said it to another apostle. He said, Peter, you need to lean into what the Bible says about what it means to be a disciple. It means you don't eat at a different table than Gentiles. So, Peter, you've got some hard work to do, too, to lean into the difficult realities of this church. And Paul says, you're going to do that work of leaning into what the Bible teaches us, and you're going to lean into conforming yourself to the Scripture. You're going to lean into the difficult, courageous work that's required as brothers and sisters and as citizens of heaven of worshiping and serving and living together. You're going to do the work of a disciple, bringing your life and your decisions under the authority of Scripture. You're going to do the courageous work of not running and not avoiding, but of leaning in. The courageous work of correcting and also the courageous work of being corrected. Just as I had to do with Peter, just as I had to do with these Judaizers. Courageous work of being vulnerable and courageous work of being humble before the Word and before each other. All of that takes courage. We're going to give each other a bit of grace here on both sides. Not everybody that we talk to is going to hear what we have to say graciously. And not everyone, myself included, is going to say what we need to say graciously. The Apostle Paul here was not very gracious when he told one group to go castrate themselves. I will try and avoid comments like that when I'm speaking to you. Okay? I can almost promise I will not tell any of you to go castrate yourselves. But I won't be perfect in every conversation that I have with every one of you. And you'll just have to give me some grace for that, because I'm as tired as Paul is of some of these topics. And I know that you won't be perfect in grace hearing some of the conversations, whether it's from me, or whether it's from a family member, whether it's from a brother or sister in Christ, whether you're listening to your children, whether you're listening to your parents, whether you're listening to your grandparents, or talking to your grandparents. I get it. Just like these people in Galatia, we will not be perfect in speaking, and we will not be perfect in listening. But that's okay, because we're going to give ourselves a lot of grace on both sides. We will also give each other general permission to talk about this. And to our closest brothers and sisters and mentors, we are going to give explicit permission to hold us accountable because there's no such thing as a disciple of Christ in a body of believers that is not accountable to the body. There's no such thing. You don't get to say that I'm a part of this body and I'm a part of the church and I'm a fellow believer and a brother of yours in Christ, but you don't get to talk to me about my life. That doesn't happen. Remember, 2 Thessalonians 3. No such thing as a lazy disciple. We will ask each other if we're on the right track or the wrong track. We will invite observation and participation in our walk with Jesus and to make sure that we do have our biblical values in the right order and that we are doing good. And if somebody is saying maybe we are or maybe we aren't doing good in this area, we'll go home and pray about that and think about that and bring it back to Scripture and let the Holy Spirit and let the Word of God speak to us. 
We're going to examine scriptures together to know the law of Christ and to build one another up, being conformed to the image of Christ, because we are disciples. There is no other option. That is discipleship. And you may have noticed in all of this that I still have not given any specific answer to the many questions that we face about what do we do as Christians with the many questions COVID is asking. Because there isn't just one answer. That doesn't mean every answer is right or that every answer is for everyone. It means that you have to do the work in community and with each other to lean into discipling, to lean into conforming your decisions and your actions to Scripture and to the Holy Spirit and to what Jesus would have you do. In the context of this church and with these brothers and sisters who you serve beside, They get to speak into all of our decisions because they are one body with us. We have to lean into deciding, as Paul has decided over and over and over again in his ministry, what rights are we willing to lay down? Who are we willing to become? What are we willing to take on for one clear purpose, which is to serve the kingdom of God and the gospel the best that we can? Paul said, I will become all things to all people that I might serve some. So Paul doesn't have a law for us here. As I said, the whole book of Galatians is Paul's attempt to set the church free from the letter of the law. He says, you don't have to follow all those Jewish cleanliness things. The law has been fulfilled in Christ. There is no law. But at the same time, Paul says, it doesn't mean there isn't a right thing to do. Do good. You've got to decide what doing good is. For most of you, it won't mean getting circumcised. But for Timothy, it did mean getting circumcised. And so we have to decide what good is. As tired as we may feel, we have to work through this together. Courageously, fearlessly, kindly, humbly, esteeming others always more highly than we esteem ourselves for the sake of the gospel and for the mission of the kingdom. That is Paul's encouragement to this tired church in Galatia. I'm certain it would be his encouragement to the church of North America, the church of the world today. Paul would say, I know you're tired. I'm tired. We're all tired. But as disciples, there's no option to be lazy. You have to lean in. You have to be courageous. You have to be strong to conform yourself to the words of Scripture and submit everything to the mission of the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. As I've said, I'm tired. You know, I know others are tired. There's people that are here today that are tired. There's people that are at home and tired. There's people who, on on either side of this issue, that are tired. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen us, that in all things we can do things through you. Father, that we don't do this in our own strength, but that we have the Holy Spirit. Father, that you give us supernatural grace and supernatural mercy towards each other. And most of all, Lord, that we would be courageous, that we would not be fearful, not be fearful of what others think, others say, others do, not fearful of conversations, not fearful of what we need to say, not fearful of what we need to hear, not fearful but courageous, and that we would submit everything to your word and everything to the ministry of serving each other and serving the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.